Let's pray together. God, I pray that this morning that we would behold Jesus, the one who suffered, that we would behold Jesus, the one who went to the cross, that we would see how great you are and what you have done. And I pray that we would respond to you rightly and listen to your word humbly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, again, good morning and welcome. We're continuing our series in the book of 1 Peter, A Living Hope. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, our passage is also in our worship folder here um, this morning. So we're going to look at these verses and read through that through each of the sections in just a little bit. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. That's a a well-known poem describing the decision to follow down a certain road, to follow down a certain path, and the impact that it made going down that path. It made all the difference. Our passage here this morning, it's calling us to walk down a certain path. And in fact, it's probably not a path that we would naturally choose Ourselves. It's not a path that the world probably believes is very worthwhile. Look for a moment at our passage here. We're going to look at three verses, just a word that comes up over and over. It's going to get our theme very succinctly. Verse 13, chapter 2, be subject. Verse 18, servants, be subject. Going on to chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject. The path of our passage here today is willing submission. Willing submission. Submission, it's often a hard word to hear for us, but when we hear it here from our passage, we can take it and define it as this, willingly yielding to and coming under the authority of another. That's what our passage is calling us to do here. See, Peter, he's, he's calling Christians to live well. What does it mean to live well? How do we live well? Well, we live well by willingly submitting in the world. That's what Peter is saying here throughout this whole passage. Now our passage, it talks about submission, like we just said. Submission to unjust leaders, to governments, to bosses. Talks about masters and servants. Talks about marriage. Talks about roles in marriage. Talks about suffering and enduring the suffering in the midst of that. And all that in one passage to preach on in 30 minutes. Almost seems like the pastors are playing a little joke on the youth pastor or something like that. (laughs) But we're not going to be able to define every word here in this passage. We're not going to be able to answer every question that we might have. We're not going to be able to apply it to every single person and situation. And in fact, I don't even think that's Peter's intention here in this passage. But I think as we look at this passage together we're going to see that there's a direct call for us to live well in our society, to live well in our workplace, to live well in our marriages. But there's an eternal purpose for that. And that eternal purpose is the calling on every Christian's life, which is to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's the eternal purpose that we are called to as Christians, is to follow down the path that Jesus went, to walk in his footsteps 
But not only do we have an eternal purpose, but we also have an eternal impact as we live well in this way. What is the eternal impact? Well, it, it honors God when we live this way. It pleases God when we live this way. But not only that, it's a witness to the world. As we are living in the way that our passage is describing, it serves as a witness to God. So because of our love for Jesus, so we live this way. Because of our love for others and wanting them to know Christ, so we live this way. So as we have that perspective, as we come to our passage here this morning, it turns from a passage that we might easily glance over or skip, and instead it becomes a passage that we're drawn to because it shows us and teaches us how we can follow in the footsteps of our Savior, Jesus Christ. So yes, it can be a difficult passage to hear, a difficult task, but we have an eternal purpose with that, and we have eternal impact with that, and that shapes everything. So where are we headed? Where are we headed here this morning? There's really four points. It breaks down really easily, and the four points are this, living well for God in society, living well for God in the workplace, living well for God by imitating our Savior, and living well for God in marriage. And with each of those points, we're going to have to ask this question, how do we live well? But also, why? Why would we do this? So let's jump right in. We're going to start with verses 13 through 17 here in chapter 2. It says this, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as, free pe- as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. So living well for God in society. How do we do that? Peter's very clear. First verse, what is it? Willingly submit to the governing authorities in the public sphere. Now what's interesting about this statement here that Peter is saying is that he's writing this in Rome. And who's the emperor during this time? It's none other than Nero. And a few years after this, Nero was leading a huge persecution against the Christians. This is an ungodly leader. This is an unjust leader. Kills his brother. Kills his mother. And there were other leaders in the government there who were ungodly, who were unjust. And here we have Peter speaking this word in that very context. You know, they weren't holding Christian values. They weren't seeking to advance the Christian message. This is Roman culture, a pagan culture, and often opposed to Christianity in many ways. That's the context that Peter is saying these very words. It wasn't about whether they agreed with the emperor. It wasn't about whether they were godly. It wasn't even whether they were good leaders. What does he say? He says, submit to your leaders. That's how we can, that's how we can live well. But how else can we live well? If you look at verse 14 and verse 15, there's a phrase that's repeated, do good. Do good. Actually doing good in society, trying to strengthen society, benefit society in any way that we can, that's how we can live well in society. But why? Why is Peter saying these very words? 
In this section, he gives us two clear motivations. One, the very first part of it, it pleases God. This is for the Lord's sake. We live in this way for the Lord's sake. It's because of my relationship with God through Jesus, it is for him. That's why we live well in this way, because it pleases him. But not only that, this posture, this attitude that we're called to live with, it also, according to verse, teen, excuse me, verse 15, it says, living well in society in this way, it silences foolish people. It defends the gospel. When we live this way, it defends the gospel. So often in our culture, our cultures, they're, they're trying to actively look for moral failure of, of Christians or Christian leaders and use that as ammunition, in a sense, to bash Christianity or, or, or malign Christians. And in a lot of ways, there's truth to that because there is often moral failure with our Christian leaders and some of them and in our Christian community. But there's also numerous examples of godly men and women who are faithfully serving God, doing good, and making an impact in society, making an impact in their community. I read an article uh, a few weeks ago online and it had a very intriguing title and it said this, it said, pastor exposed for 17 years of faithful marriage. It was a very interesting title because it kind of twisted what was a normal headline seeking to maybe bring down Christianity or bash Christianity in some way. And the rest of the article had shared great examples of people who are faithfully committed in their marriages, making impact in their churches, making impact in their communities. You see, when we willingly submit and faithfully do good in society, it defends the gospel. It's an apologetic for the gospel. So are you adding ammunition with your words and with how you are living or are you willingly submitting yourself and faithfully doing good as a means to defend and advance the gospel? Well, Peter, he he ends this section by saying we're freed in Christ. We have a freedom in Christ. And I think often we get this idea of, of freedom very confused and very twisted. We think of freedom kind of along the lines of that Rolling Stones song, right? I'm free to do what I want any old time. I'll leave that to Dave, sorry. <laughs> but freedom in Christ is not like that. Freedom in Christ means we're now freed to serve God. We're now freed to honor everyone because they're made in the image of Christ. We're now freed to love one another. We're now freed to serve and fear God alone. And we're now freed to honor the emperor, even one who is unjust. That's what it means. So how does this impact us? You have to ask yourself, are are you submitting to your government in the way that you use your money? With your taxes? Are you honoring the leadership of our government with your words? Not saying you're agreeing with them on every single thing. But are the ways that you talk about those who are leaders, are you honoring them with your words? Are you actively seeking to do good in our society, using the good and just means of our legal system to try to bring about good in our cultures, in our communities, with our neighbors, with those who are hurting, with those who need care? Is that our posture? Is that our attitude? Is that what we are actively seeking to do? And when we do that, it pleases God and it defends the gospel. 
Now, if a government or authority is calling us to disobey Jesus, to deny Jesus, to stop proclaiming the gospel, in that case, we, we disobey. We don't listen. Peter himself in Acts 4 and 5 is an example of that where they asked him to stop speaking the gospel and he refused to do that. So I would say, hey, seek the counsel of a pastor. Seek the counsel of good, wise, godly men and women can help, who can help you think through if you're maybe in an Acts 4 or 5 type situation. But the force of our passage here today is that we live well in society when we willingly submit and when we seek to do good in our communities. Why? This pleases God. Why? It defends the gospel. So we're not only called to live well in society, but also to live well for God in the workplace. Look down at verse 18 through 20. It says this, Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin, you are beaten for it and endure? But if, you, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Peter's next words here, therefore, servants and how they're called to respond to their masters. Now, as it's been said multiple times from this pulpit, from various passages similar to this, what he is saying, this is not the same as the slavery that happened in our culture, in our community, in our nation a few centuries ago. This is not the same thing. Quoting from our small group Bible study curriculum, here's how it describes this passage. It said, slavery in ancient Rome was an economic rather than ethnic enterprise. There were some laws protecting how servants could be treated. At the same time, they often could be treated poorly. So there's no exact parallel today. And the closest modern parallel is between an employee and their employer. So Peter seems to be speaking about some situation that's similar to a boss-employee relationship here. I heard this week uh, about a, a supervisor of a kitchen in a hotel, and this supervisor really put two people, or put two people into two different camps. They were either their friends or their enemies. Now, one, one chef was unfortunately a part of the enemy category in their mind, and this chef created this, this breakfast platter, sent it out. The supervisor tasted it and said, nope, too bitter. Send that thing back. Went back. Chef fixed it up, sweetened it up a little bit, sent it out. The supervisor tastes it and says, that is way too sweet. Send that thing back. So the chef is a little frustrated, ends up making some of the noises as if they're making changes to the meal, but sends out the exact same thing. And the supervisor tastes it and says, oh, perfect, perfect. If I didn't keep my eye on them, they wouldn't do anything right. Now, as we think about that, that situation, we know that the workplace can be frustrating. It can be difficult with situations just like that. So how do we live well? How do we live well in the workplace? Again, willingly submit and do good. Not just to the good guys, but even to those who are unjust and that phrase here in this passage, unjust, is basically talking about somebody who's, who's even crooked, maybe. Their dealings are, are shady. And what does he say? He says, keep on submitting to them. Keep on doing good to them. But why? Why? Well, when we live well in this way, it actually displays 
grace to others. See, when we uh, have an authority in the workplace treating us poorly, maybe with disrespect, and we respond patiently, we respond with willing submission, seeking to continue to do good in our job, in our workplace, it actually displays grace to others. It's a gracious thing, our passage says. And when your boss is harsh, maybe even crooked, and yet you still seek to do them good, not only does it display grace to others, but as one commentator put it, you actually gain the smile of God. It's a gracious thing in the sight of God when we do this. It pleases him. It honors him. He smiles down upon you. So practically, what does this imply? Well, I think it really means that we should be seeking as much good for our bosses as we can, working as hard as we can, trying to make the business or the place that we are serving and working thrive to the best of our ability. Are you praying for your boss? Not just that your relationship would get better, but actually that God would bless them, that actually that God would be at work in their life drawing them to himself. Maybe it means you're needing to humbly listen to your boss or think about how you can appropriately respond instead of quickly retaliating in a situation. Are you honoring your boss with your words and what you are saying? Well, these sections, they do hit us hard. And within them, we find strong motivations from Peter. But even Peter realizes, you know what? I need to pause for a moment. And I need to elevate and highlight Jesus the one who actually perfectly sets the example of what it means to live well here in verses 21 to 25. This is the heart of our whole passage, the center of our whole passage. So let's look at those passages, verses 21 to 25. It says, For this, to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, Neither was deceit found in his mouth, but when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseers of your soul. We move into our next section, living well for God by imitating our Savior. Jesus sets the example. He sets this example for us. What does he do? He willingly submits to the Father, and he goes straight to the cross, leaving the perks and privileges and rights of heaven, and instead comes down to serve and to suffer and go to the cross in our place. He submits himself to unjust leaders who revile him, who treat him poorly, who threaten him, who cause him to suffer. Yet what does our passage say? He does not retaliate. He does not respond to it, but instead endures it, receives it. Because he was entrusting himself to God, knowing that God would deal with sin. God would deal rightly. God would one day vindicate him. And he entrusted himself to God. This is King Jesus walking down this path of willing submission. And we're called to follow in his footsteps. So Jesus sets the example, but he also, he empowers our response as you look to the last few verses here. 
It's, it's humbling when we read these verses that we're reminded apart from Christ's unique work on the cross, we are powerless to have any change in our life, especially in this way. Is that he empowers us to do this because through his death on the cross, he heals us. Through his death on the cross and his own suffering, he allows us, enables us to die to sin and to live to righteousness. He's our example, but he empowers us to do this. But lastly, I want us to look at verse 22 of chapter 3. Not going to spend much time in this, but also this Jesus encourages us in the midst of this. So if you look at verse 22 of chapter 3, it says this, Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. There's our word, subject. Be subject, be subject, be subject. Here it's reversed. Everything is subjected to Christ. He's victorious. He's vindicated. He has won and he reigns as king. And one day so will we if we are in Christ. He provides all the encouragement we need as we look forward to what one day we will be with him. And we see his example now of how we can endure and press on in the middle of what we might be going through and dealing with. Living well by imitating our Savior. Well, our final section here, it's calling us to live well for God in marriage. Following the beautiful example of Christ, he ends with this picture of how a husband and a wife can sacrificially live in response. Look at our verses in chapter 3, 1 to 7. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold, jewelry, and the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, If you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. See, God's purpose for marriage is for a man and a woman to display the beauty of the gospel as they live according to the design that he has set forward for us in scripture. It's a picture in this passage of a woman who sacrificially, joyfully coming under the leadership of her husband and affirming that leadership of her husband, following that leadership. It's of a husband who's sacrificially honoring his wife. See, God's design is for a wife to willingly submit to the leadership of her husband and when that statement is made, often there's alarms that go off in our ears. And rightfully so in some ways. Because these good and biblical principles and roles have often been twisted and used not to serve and honor women, but to treat them poorly or even lead to abuse in some situations. And this should really grieve our hearts. It grieves God's heart. 
when these are twisted in that way. This passage, it doesn't mean that a wife should ever follow her husband into sin. It doesn't mean that a wife has to let go of her competencies. It doesn't mean agreeing with everything her husband says. It doesn't mean being weak like a doormat. It doesn't mean that in any way you have to put up with abuse in the home. Now, if, if you're experiencing that here this morning, you do not have to remain silent, and God does not desire for you to remain silent. He wants you to seek help, help of somebody who can maybe help you clearly navigate through your situation, and we want to do that as a church and care for you. So please talk to me or another pastor if that is your situation. This passage, as we look at it, though, it does lay down biblical principles for how a wife can live well in marriage. And it looks like joyfully affirming and coming under the leadership of a husband. It looks like a gentle and humble spirit. It means doing good for your husband. It means redirecting the focus of our life, of your life, from the external or using all time and energies to build up what's on the outside, but instead spending time and energy to build up what is on the inside, the hidden person of the heart, adorning the inner person. Why do this, though? Verse 1 tells us why. It has enormous impact. It says, so that even if some who do not obey the word, they may be one without a word. Even a husband who's hardened to God, the conduct of a wife living in this way, living well in this way, they might even be won over for God. It has enormous impact in our culture and society as it actually points others to the sacrificial submission of Jesus when he went to the cross. It's not wasted. But also looking at verse 4, the end of it, what does it say? It says, which in God's sight is very precious. Living well in this way is precious to God. It honors him. It pleases him. So women, whether you're married or not, what is your focus today? Is it on the external and getting the external ready? Or is the primary focus about getting the internal ready? Preparing the hidden person of the heart. Is this the type of women that we are raising our daughters to become? Or raising our sons to pursue? Or if you're in pursuit of marriage, is this the type of woman you are seeking to become? Is this what they're striving to be? So husbands, how does a husband live well in marriage? Very simply, verse 7 tells us is to honor your wife. To honor them. A wife deserves honor. A wife deserves respect. A wife deserves care. I remember on my wedding day, the pastor told me very clearly, looked at me, he says, Ben, it is your job for the rest of your life to get a PhD in your wife. <laughs> that was exactly right. Is that I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to understand my wife, to learn about her, to see how I can serve her, how I can care for her better, how she is gifted, and how I can help her to thrive. Understand, live, in, live with your wife in an understanding way protecting her, caring for her. You know, it says this phrase, a weaker vessel, and I think that's just pointing to the physical stature and difference between a man and a woman. And it actually, in a man's mind, when they read this, it should actually elevate this calling to care and support and love and serve a wife 
even more and more because the next words actually make all the difference is that it says that they are co-heirs. They are heirs with you of the grace of life. You know, before the face of God, there's no difference in status between a man or a woman or a husband or a wife. We're all co-heirs of the grace of life. Therefore, a husband should do everything that he can to invest in the spiritual life of their wife and to help them to thrive. Honor your wife. Are these the type of men we're seeking to be? Men who are hoping to marry? Is this what you're striving for? Young men? Is this what we're raising our sons to be? Praying that our daughters marry this type of man? There's no room for chauvinism or abuse or disrespect. There's only room for honoring and caring and seeking a wife's good. What's filling your heart towards women or towards your wife this morning? The word today is very clear for every one of us. Living well for God means willing submission in the world. But we know that has an eternal purpose because we're becoming more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ, who walked down that path of willing submission. And by living well in this way, we're becoming more like him. And it has huge impact because it honors God. It advances the gospel to witness. But we must remember this as we're in the grind of living in this tough task is that we look to a picture of Jesus, our example. We remember that he empowers us for this task to do it and to live well in this way knowing that Jesus has won he's vindicated Jesus is reigning as king and one day so will we reign with him serving Christ we will be vindicated too let's pray God we thank you for your word thank you for speaking clearly to us pray that we would respond rightly And prepare our hearts as we come now to the table. Amen.